But, uh, I don't know how you feel about treadmills, but you know, I've started to try to exercise a little more lately, but, but treadmills are a piece of equipment that I really don't understand. I mean, you're, you're on it, and, and no matter how hard you work, you, you just don't go anywhere, you know, and so maybe you got onto a treadmill kick at one point, you made a New Year's resolution or something, you got a treadmill, it's sitting in your, in your house there, and what happens to your treadmill six months after, after you buy it? Uh, if you're like most people, it, you know, you've got an assortment of clothes and stuff hanging on it and all that kind of stuff, and so I approach a treadmill kind of like this first dog in this picture. That's kind of the way I'm like, uh, I want to... And then, there, yeah, he yawns a little bit. It's like, I, I really, I don't want to, you know, no matter what I do, I'm just not going anywhere. But some of you maybe approach a treadmill like the second guy. Look at this guy killing it. He, this isn't motion, but you can tell that guy is moving. And the rest of us are like the guy in the yellow shirt just kind of looking at him like, well, you know, who do you think you are? But the thing is, they're both in the same place. One guy's working really hard, and the other guy is standing still, but they're both in the exact same place. Neither one are going anywhere. And you know, I wonder if that's the way life is sometimes. Maybe if that's the way you feel like spiritually sometimes. Sometimes you feel like I'm working really hard and yet I'm not getting anywhere. Anybody ever feel that way? Like I'm just working hard and I'm not. And maybe you feel like this last guy. Maybe this is life for you right now. And, you know, the shoes. I love the shoes, how they fly off. And, uh, and, I mean, the first part of the video, he was feeling really confident. He was dancing, and then he jumped on I, I didn't, This doesn't have the, the whole thing there. But, yeah, he jumps up there, and then and the shoes. And some of us, like, that's, that's a picture of how life is going. You're not even on the treadmill, okay? And so uh, I'm starting there because I think that we can, at least at times of our life, if not maybe right now, we can relate to this idea of working really hard, trying really hard, but feeling like we're just not... You know, we're just not getting anywhere. And, and uh, you know, treadmills also remind me, uh, like I said earlier, of New Year's resolutions. And I, I, maybe, maybe you made a New Year's resolution that it's, uh, it's September, it's about time to start getting around to, to trying to, 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 to keep that New Year's resolution you made back in January. But maybe one of yours was to be fit. Have you ever noticed that when you make a, a, a resolution, like I'm going to eat right or I'm going to be fit. I know a few months ago, Son and I decided that we were going to start eating a certain way and start eating this, stop eating that. Uh, we were going to not eat after 6 p.m. and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and as soon as we made the commitment, it was like all the stuff that I had said I wasn't going to eat, it suddenly like it sounded so good. And I, start, I started craving stuff that I wasn't even eating before. Um, you know, uh, evening time would roll around and, oh, oh man, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it until morning. And there's something about knowing that I said I'm not going to do it that awakens this monster, right? Um, you know, and, 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 and maybe it's just the idea of rules. We, we struggle with rules. Um, I've shared before, I, I, got a, I wanted to start drinking more water a while back, and, and I got this app you know, and, and, and it would make a little water sound every time it was time to drink water. And, and it got to where I resented this so bad because I was like, don't tell me when to drink water, machine. You don't, tell, you're not my boss. And so I was drinking less water than I was to begin with. So I had to delete the app. It backfired. It, 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 it did the opposite. And so um, you got to show of hands, who here would say that like you're a rule person? You really like rules. Anybody really like rules? Okay. A few of us. And then who, 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 doesn't who who's who doesn't like rules who who okay i think the the non-rule people win, uh, win 
So this is why we need you rule people to run the world, okay? Because like if, if it's up to the rest of us, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a mess. But the rule people, like you're going to buckle the kids up in the car. You're going to make sure everybody's buckled in their car seat. You're going to test it. You're going to put your, your hands at 10 and 2 on the steering wheel. You're going to drive five miles per hour under the speed limit. And then and, and, and you're going to get there. And, and the rest of us, it's just amazing that we ever arrive anywhere alive, okay? Like the rest of us, like... You know, it's like, ah, the speed limit's kind of a suggestion. There's kids hanging on the bumper. And, and, but even if you are a rule person, there's, there comes a point where none of us like to be told what to do. Um, even if you're a real person, maybe it's the rules that you've decided to live by. There comes a point where all of us, even personality differences aside, we struggle with just being told what to do. There's something that bristles against that. And so if you want to do an experiment, maybe you have a, a small child in your home, just, you know, walk out of the room and say, hey, whatever you do, don't lick the windows while I'm gone. You know, and, and, and they wouldn't have thought about licking the windows, but now that you said it, they can't. In fact, Travis Janice is eyeing the window over here really closely. It's like, now that you told me not to do it, Man, that sounds like a good idea. And then you walk back in the room and why are there tongue marks all over the glass? Did somebody lick the windows? I no. I don't know how that happened. And so this plays out, you know, in, you know, in our life. You guys laugh a lot more in the first service left, by the way. Man, there was a, a rough crowd this morning, man. All right. Um, so that's okay with like a, a couple of kids, but you, you maybe you transpose that over to like a classroom full of kids where everybody wants to do their own thing. It starts to get a little more challenging, doesn't it? And then you transpose that over to seven billion people who each have seven billion ways of doing things. Seven billion people each saying, I want to do what's right in my own eyes. And it starts to become a problem. And before too long, you start asking yourself the question, what is wrong with this world? That's where we are, right? And then G.K. Chesterton responded to an, uh, an article in, 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 a, in a newspaper in, in London years ago. The question was something along those lines, what's wrong with the world? And his response was a lengthy response, but the part that people uh, zero in on, he said, what's wrong with the world? I am. And that's where... If we're going to be faithful to Jesus, if we're going to be faithful to what he says about taking the log out of our own eye, we start with that. What is it in me that contributes to what's wrong with the world? And Paul's going to lay out in this chapter, and what he's really laid out all the way through Romans is that we have this problem called sin. It's not that my personality needs a couple of tweaks or adjustments. I have this sin Thing. And sin isn't just breaking the rules, it's partly that. But sin for Paul, is, as we read Romans 6 and 7, sin is this twisted, dark, personified force that twists even the good that I want to do. And it presents evil that I wouldn't have even maybe thought of otherwise. Sin is in essence what Paul wrote in Romans 1, Exchanging the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Sin, instead of being all about God, results in a life that's all about me. Um, and so he's going to talk to us in Romans 7 about that problem and how the Old Testament law was given to address that problem, but the law was not enough 
to rescue us from that problem. Rules and more rules have a place, but more rules don't necessarily equal more deliverance, more transformation, more freedom. We needed something more than rules to set us free. And he's going to tell us that we have that something more. And he's going to point us to that, okay? So at the end of, of Romans 6, Paul introduced us to this word sanctification. You can find that in Romans 6, verse uh, 19. I'm speaking on human terms because of your natural limitations, just as you once presented the members your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So, um, so some terms that are really important in Romans. First term is gospel. Gospel, remember, is that good news that Jesus Christ rules. The good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. The gospel is that good news that Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself. That Jesus has lived the life you and I could not live. Died the death we deserved to die. Overcame death through the resurrection. And so, um, so I invite you, I was, I was asked to periodically do this, and I think this is a great idea. Just think about the gospel for a second. Think about that. Think about what God has done for you. Think about what the good news means to you. That Jesus Christ rules now. That Jesus Christ lived the life you couldn't live. Died the death you deserve to die. Think about your one. Who's your one? Who's the person you're praying for? Is there a creative way you can have a conversation this week with them? That you can share, man, Jesus Christ is Lord and he wants to be your Lord. He wants to rescue you. Gospel's a big term in, in Romans. Another key term in Romans really dominated the first four chapters is the word justification. And that's that moment when you believe that God's who he says he is. You believe that Jesus is Lord and God declares you to be in the right with him. God declares you to be part of his people. And then Paul introduces this word sanctification at the end of chapter 6. And really 7 and 8 are going to continue that thread of sanctification. Sanctification is one of those big words we hear about, but what in the world does it mean? And it really refers to the process of becoming the person God called and created you to be. It's that ongoing work of God's spirit in your life to lay down the old and to put on the new. So justification is God saying, you trust me by grace through faith. I say you're right with me, you're part of my people. And sanctification is that ongoing process of becoming the person God created you to be. It's that ongoing process by the power of God's Spirit of putting off the old and putting on the new. And so keep that uh, idea in mind as we walk through Romans 7. So Paul's unpacking this all still. He's still unpacking the end of, as we, as we walk through Romans 7, Paul is still unpacking the end of Romans 5 where he says the law came about and it increased sin but the more sin increased, grace superabounded. Grace abounded all the more. And he says there's these two realms. And one is the realm of Adam or the realm of death. And the other is the realm of Jesus and the realm of grace. And we said last week that when you trust Jesus, justification means you're taken out of sin land. Sin land isn't your zip code anymore. You're transferred to grace land. You live in grace land now if you know Jesus. And sin is not your master anymore. Sin is not in charge of you anymore. But yet, what Romans 7 is going to highlight for us is that even though sin isn't your master anymore, there is still this ongoing struggle with sin. As a believer... 
as a believer in Jesus, as someone that trusts Jesus, as someone that has the Holy Spirit living in you, there remains this struggle, this battle with sin. And one of the major mistakes we can make is underestimate the power and the seduction of sin. So what I'd like for us to hear from Romans 7 today is stop underestimating the power of sin and and don't stop crying out for the power of God's spirit. Stop underestimating the power. Stop underestimating how how deceptive sin is. Stop underestimating how good sin can look. Stop underestimating how even in my good things, I can become self-righteous and boastful and arrogant even in the good that I do. Sin can even infect the good that I want to do. Stop underestimating sin and don't stop crying out for the power of God's Spirit. Okay, And so Paul begins in chapter 7 and we're going to ask the question, am I united with Adam or am I united to Jesus? All right, so 7-1. Or do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to those who know the law. So many in Paul's audience, the Roman church, either had been Jews and had become Christians, or they had been around the Jewish faith before they became Christians, and they had a, at least a, a, some understanding of the Old Testament law. He says, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. A married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. So we're tracking with Paul so far. If, if you're married, the law binds you to that person for life. He says, if you go and you, if, you know, if, if Sonda was to move in with another man while she's married to me, um, I really hope she doesn't do that. But if she, if she did, she would be an adulteress. But if I die, then she's free to marry whoever she wants to marry. Okay? Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. So Paul's illustration here kind of gets a little hard to follow, but, but let's try to stay with him. He says, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Okay, And so part of what Paul is going to get at here in this passage He's still talking about, are we united with Adam or are we united with Jesus, okay? And in Adam, that's that old rebellious nature that continually wants to do what I want to do. It's that old nature that God says, don't lick the walls. I say, yeah, I'd like to lick the walls. God says, you can eat of any tree, but just don't eat of this one tree. And I say, man, that's the one tree that I want, okay? That's the Adam nature. Um, and, And Paul says, the law... Even though the law is good and the law is helpful and the law is true, what the law actually did was it married Israel to Adam. And God says that now if we know Jesus, we've died with Christ, we've raised with Christ. That's what he said back in Romans 6. And now we can no longer be united to Adam, but we can come to be united with Jesus. And if we stay in union with Adam, the only fruit produced in our life is sin and frustration. The only, the only fruit produced in our life is just we're on a treadmill and it's not going anywhere. He says, but because we've died with Christ, if you place your trust in Jesus, um, now what's true of Jesus can be true of you. And you can be united by faith uh, with Jesus Christ and your life can produce something. And so, and so, in this room and in this world and in our time, I think a lot of us have probably been successful in unhitching from the law. 
I don't, I don't meet a lot of people that say, you know, I'm just really, I'm just trying to obey all of God's commands, and I'm hoping if I do, he'll accept me. I, I don't meet a lot of people that way. But we've kind of hitched onto a different law. And the law we've hitched onto is the law that says, man, you do whatever you want to do. If it feels good to you, if it makes you happy, even though it doesn't really make you happy, it hasn't yet, but if you think it might make you happy, you do that. You do you. Do what you want to do. And we've hitched onto that law. And the thing is, whether it's legalism that says, if I just keep the rules enough, God's going to love me. Or if it's lawlessness that says, man, God, God's got to love me no matter what I do. I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Whichever one of those paths we take, we're united to Adam. We're in that realm of sin and death and no good fruit comes from it. But there's something else. He says that we can be united by grace through faith to Jesus. And there can be fruit in our lives. The way of grace is different than the way of lawlessness. It's different than the way of legalism. Grace says, man, God accepts me. And because God accepts me, I want to be the kind of person that shows this world who God is. Because God loves me, I want to be, I want to know him. I want to reflect him to the world. Legalism, lawlessness, those are both um, me-centered ways of living. But an encounter with God's grace leads us to be God-centered people. We want to shine for him. So stop underestimating the power of sin. Don't stop crying out for the power of God's spirit. So Paul continues this in verse um, 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, you can underline but now if you want, circle but now, highlight but now. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so this is really important as to how we interpret the rest of Romans 7. Because there in, 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 in verse 5, Paul says there was this old way of living. There's this Adam way of living. And we were on the treadmill and we were keeping the rules, but we, we were not successful in keeping the rules. And no matter what we did, we could not achieve union with God. We could not meet God's standard. That was the old way. But he says, but now, verse 6, we're released from the law. We died to that which held us captive so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the law. And so verse 5, the old way, is going to be the description of the whole rest of Romans chapter 7. And the new way of the Spirit, referenced in verse 6, that's the summary of the whole chapter 8. Paul doesn't use the word Holy Spirit again. He doesn't refer to the Holy Spirit again through the rest of chapter 7. And the rest of chapter 7... And people have debated, you know, and we'll get into some of that, but we won't spend a lot of time there. People have debated what's chapter 7 really saying. I believe part of what chapter 7 is saying is, apart from the Spirit of God, hear this, apart from God's Spirit, you're never going to get off the treadmill. And so, so there's this really bad news given in Romans 7. Paul's going to lay out how powerful sin is and our inability to overcome sin just by keeping the rules. But he's paving the way for the really good news in Romans chapter 8. But now the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is a way to get off the treadmill. And that's through the power of the spirit of God. Okay, And so Paul's going to describe in Romans 7 
the, the, the inability we have apart from God's spirit to overcome sin in our lives. And so he continues this idea of two ways of living. We're still alive. Awesome. Uh, verse, uh, verse 7. What shall we say that the law is sin? So, so our word today is sin because that's this chief enemy that Paul's uh, pointing at. But, but really the context here is Paul's talking about the law's inability to deliver us from sin. All right, what shall we say that is the law sin? And so that's a question somebody would have asked um, that's read what Paul said. He said some things about the law that weren't super positive. And so they would say, well, well why did God give the law to begin with? Why did he give those 613 rules in the Old Testament? And sometimes people, maybe you, you hear preach or you, you've, you've said, man, 613 laws. Man, that's just too many laws to even keep. And let me just say, like, the problem isn't that there's too many laws. We couldn't keep one law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We can't keep that apart from the Spirit of God. But by the Spirit of God, you can and will become a person who loves God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? And so the problem isn't that there's too many commands. The problem is even when I want to obey God, sin keeps enticing me away from him. And I often don't even want to obey God. That's the problem that Paul's addressing here in Romans chapter 7. So stop underestimating the power of sin. Don't stop crying out for the power of God's Spirit. So he says, what shall we say? Is the law sin? By no means. He, he's going to go out of his way to try to exonerate the law. The problem is not the law. The problem is sin in us. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So he says that the law reveals sin. It's like, imagine, J.D. Greer uses this image, imagine you had a mirror in your house that had this reflection in it of the perfect you. The you, if you did CrossFit two hours every day and ate right, it's like chiseled and swole and looks, I don't know if women want to be chiseled and swole, but the, the feminine equivalent of that. And imagine that every day when you stood in front of this mirror, you saw you, but there was also this overlay of the perfect you, and you saw how you don't match up to the you in the mirror that you're supposed to be. And that's kind of a picture of what the law does. The law holds God's standard here, and we look at it, and the law reveals, man, I'm out of whack. I am, I am bent. I have a problem. And he goes on to say, it's like coveting. He says, um, I wouldn't even know what coveting was. But the law said, don't do it, and suddenly... I do it. And I, I say, I, I like Will's shoes and I like Will's biceps. And man, why does he have those biceps and I don't have those biceps? And I, I want what he has, you know. I want what my neighbor has. I, I, I want that car over there or whatever. Coveting is something that the law not only reveals as sin, but he's going to say it even awakens sin's desire in us. Sin, verse 8, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Uh, the law reveals sin. The law, even Paul says, arouses sin, and the law condemns sin. So picture this. Picture you're, you're driving down the highway, and things are going great. You have no care in the world. And you see that, that speed limit sign. Okay, 70 miles an hour, that's the minimum speed that I need to go. Okay, and so I'll set my cruise control to, let's say, five miles per hour above that. And I'm rocking along, and I'm feeling great. And, and, and it's something about, like, that sign, it, it, it told me something, but it also awoke something in me that said, push that boundary. And so I did. And then I see the red lights behind me. And Officer Clint 
comes up behind me, and there's the law personified. And he says, now I'm going to give you the consequence. You, the, the law aroused, awakened sin, it revealed sin, and now it gives you the consequence for sin. Um, and those are the functions of the law. Paul goes on to say that, that, um, that the law's purpose was to show how sinful sin is. The, the people of Israel, the, the, the people that had the greatest revelation of God, they get these rules and they totally fail at keeping them. And that like puts a magnifying glass on them to demonstrate sin is ugly. Sin is sinful. Sin is destructive. Don't underestimate it. Um, so uh, another image maybe is imagine that you're installing a state-of-the-art security system in your home. And you can't be there when the installers come. So you say, you know, I'm going to have a friend uh, there. So you ask Joe Bob, and I'm sure Joe Bob, he, he, would, he would not do what I'm about to describe. You can, you can trust him. But, but let's say that you say, Joe Bob, you're a good friend. Would you come over to my house and oversee the installation process? of the security system. And so he says, yeah, sure. And so he goes and he's with the installers while they install the security system. And he sees all the bells and whistles. And, and then Joe Bob starts realizing, hey, I know how the system works. I know where the cracks in the system are. And what if Joe Bob used his knowledge of your security system to get in there and rob you blind? Now, he wouldn't do it. But if you start seeing him with a bunch of bling and stuff, ask questions. That's all I'm saying. Well, it's not, the, it's not your security system's fault. It's not the designer of the system's fault. But it's this friend who used the opportunity to get in there and exploit your system. And Paul's saying that's what sin does. The law is good, but sin comes in and uses even something good to twist us and to get its foot in the door and to use the good thing against us. He says that the law is weak. He says the law is not strong enough to the law promised life to us but it couldn't deliver life and it's interesting to me the law promised life and couldn't get it get, give it to us sin promises life has anybody found that the life that sin promises um, often falls short and then the spirit of god offers life sin the law the spirit of god all promise the same thing we read in Romans 8 that the Spirit is life in you. So question for us is, where am I looking for life? Am I looking at it in keeping the rules? Am I looking for life in abandoning all the rules? Or am I looking for life in the empowering presence of God's Spirit? And I know a lot of Christians that are looking for something externally. And I know one whose face that I shave every morning, and, and he's tempted this way too. We're tempted to look for things externally that we can only get through daily abiding in Jesus Christ. We look for something out here that we can only get by abiding in Jesus Christ and walking in his spirit. So Paul, throughout this passage, is, is, is contrasting there's an old way to live and there's a new way to live. And if you're a Christian, if you believed the gospel, if you've trusted Jesus, just ask yourself, am I living like I'm an Old Testament person? Am I living as though it's all up to me? Am I honest about the reality of the struggle of sin? 
And am I crying out for the present Spirit of God to empower me? So Paul moves forward from this argument, and in verse 13, uh, he, he emphasizes that we're in the, in the first half of the chapter, he says the law is good. Here he says the law is good, but it's weak. It's powerless to give what we need. And as we read verse 13 through 24, it, it, maybe it's confusing. Um, maybe we identify with it and say, hey, that's where I live every day of my life. Let's see, verse 13. He says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. Again, he's saying it's not the law's fault that we experience sin and death. He says, it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm a flesh. I'm sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He says, what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Okay? So, clear as mud, right? Maybe you read Paul's words and you say, yeah, like, that's exactly what I, I feel like every time I try to do good, Evil is right there to grab me. Or maybe we say, I have no idea what Paul even said. It, it sounds like he needs to visit a doctor and get some help, okay? Uh, it's, if, 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 uh, if you read that or hear that and say, that doesn't make a lot of sense, take heart. Take heart that Christians have been debating what this means for 2,000 years. But part of what Paul is getting at, it makes more sense if we remember a couple of things. One, Paul does not reference the empowering spirit of God in this passage until Romans chapter 8. So I believe Paul is showing us what it feels like, either as a believer or as an unbeliever, what it's like to try to overcome sin without the empowering presence of the Spirit of God. We cannot receive and experience freedom apart from the empowerment of God's Spirit. Paul's also telling us how seductive and how powerful sin is. And, and I... I think about us as believers and I think it's so easy for us to forget what a battle with sin we have. It's easy for us to underestimate sin's power and get deceived. It's easy for us to overestimate our own abilities and our own flesh and say, well, I can handle this situation. I can put myself in this situation. I'll be great. We overestimate our flesh. We underestimate the pull of sin. And Paul's saying, don't do that but also don't underestimate the power of God's Spirit. And that's where he's going to take us in Romans 8. So, again, this partly, I make some sense out of this as I overlay Romans 7, we're close to wrapping up, as I overlay Romans 7 with that Exodus narrative that we read earlier. So remember the Exodus story. Uh, 
Pharaoh releases the, the Israelites, they get away, then he hems them in, and, 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 and they're between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea. God miraculously opens up the Red Sea, they walk through it, they pass through the waters, the waters close behind them. Yes, we're free! Yes, we're God's people! That's a picture of justification. And then there's this walk through the wilderness where they're still tempted to go back to Egypt, but they can't go back to Egypt because the waters are behind them. And they're pulled over here by the pool of sin and grumbling. And they're pulled over here because they want to honor God. And then they finally get to Mount Sinai. Remember what happened at Mount Sinai? Uh, they, they gather there, they make camp, and Moses goes up and he ascends up into the top of the mountain, up into the cloud. He goes up into the cloud. He ascends into the cloud. And while he's up there, he gets all the law. God just lays out this beautiful perfect law on him. Moses comes down with the tablets, and he's pretty excited. I mean, he's got some good news to share. And he gets down there, and he finds the people what? Spoiler alert, they were not having a prayer meeting. He says, I hear the sound, but it's not the sound of warfare. It's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing. And they weren't singing to God. They had made a false god, a golden calf, and they were worshiping that. And what they were doing was they were reenacting the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. They were doing it all over again. At the very moment God was giving the law, his people were acting lawless. And now as we get to this section in Romans, if we track with the Exodus story, it would be really tempting for us to say, okay, Paul, give me the rules that I need to keep. Give me the new look. So Jesus went up into the clouds... What new rules is he going to give me that I need to live by? And the cool thing is, Jesus ascended into the clouds like Moses did, but he does not send some new tablets of rules down. This is why Pentecost, Acts 2, matters so much. He sends his spirit to us. To do what Jeremiah 31, 31 promised, 31, 33 promised, that his spirit would write his law not on tablets of stone, but on our hearts. That's the new covenant. And if we're a believer... We have to despair of our ability to overcome sin on our own. And we have to awaken and cry out to the Spirit of God's ability to overcome sin in and through us. So some encouraging takeaways from this passage, for me anyway. Some encouraging takeaways from this passage for me is one, if you struggle with sin, that doesn't make you a terrible Christian. We all do. And the struggle with sin is real. But another takeaway from this passage is, keep in mind Romans 6 and Romans 8 on, on both sides of Romans 7, and both of them declare that sin doesn't have to be your master anymore. You don't have to give in to sin over and over and over again because God has given you something better than rules. God's given you access to the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So when Paul cries out at the end of chapter 7, who will deliver me? He knows the answer. And he's going to tell us the answer in chapter 8. So hang on for that next week. A true understanding of the power of sin will lead me to godly despair. And we're wrapping up. Godly despair says, man, I'm powerless to overcome these deep-seated 
patterns of sin in my life. I'm powerless and I'm unable to love God like God wants me to love him. And the gospel tells me that he has given me his spirit that will do in me what I cannot do on my own. He wants to make me, he's committed to making me the kind of person who does love him. In recovery, the first step of recovery is what? Admitting what? We have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. And if we read Romans 7, we walk through it, and Paul is highlighting for us, we have a problem. And it's probably a bigger problem than we even think. If we're sitting here saying, you know, I just don't think sin's a big deal in my life, let's talk afterward, okay? Because there's probably a blind spot. Um, sin causes us to deceive ourselves and to be blinded. So don't underestimate sin. Don't overestimate your flesh. And don't stop crying out for God's spirit. Um, the band's coming up. You know, authenticity is a big idea in our culture. And as Christians, um, the band is coming up. As Christians, um, we need to be authentic, right? And so authenticity, authenticity may look like and will look like you sharing with a, with a maybe you're one that you're sharing the gospel with. Um, maybe sharing, yeah, thank you. Maybe sharing um, with those you lead. Authenticity looks like saying, hey, here's an area where I struggle. Here's an area of ongoing struggle in my life. And every Christian has those. But authenticity also looks like being willing and able to say, here's an area of my life where I've achieved by the Spirit of God victory. Here's an area of my life where I'm overcoming. Do you have areas of your life that you can say to somebody, I'm struggling here? But do you also have areas of your life where you can say, God's delivered me here? When you come to faith in Christ, there's going to be some things in your life that he delivers you from. Just flat out. There's going to be some desires that he just takes away from you. Tom Terrence, we talked about last week, he was a white supremacist. He was a racist. He was violent. And God took that away from him when he placed his trust in Jesus. But then there were other struggles that God still is taking away from him a day at a time. And so there's struggles that you have that maybe they, they totally go away when you get saved. But there's other struggles that are going to be lifelong struggles for you. Don't underestimate them. Um, don't overestimate your abilities. Don't stop crying out to the Spirit of God to deliver you today from the power of sin today. All right? So whatever your struggle is, man, we all got one. And, and whatever your ongoing struggle is, we've all got one. And we got to be authentic enough to say, hey, let me tell you about my struggle. I'm going to tell you, you can tell me about your struggle. And we also have to be authentic enough to say, man, but sin doesn't have to rule me. Because Jesus Christ has given me his very own spirit.